You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 114. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. All right, welcome everyone to another episode of The Local Maximum, another exciting episode, episode 114. Today I'm joined by my co-host Aaron. Aaron, how you doing? Uh, doing pretty well, all things considered. Uh, enjoyed a a uh, overall pleasant Easter weekend. Yeah, and I think you know it's good to. I have a lot of actually now I have some interesting guests coming up, but it's always important for me to kind of not make this a pure interview show and to come back in and check with the um, you know check in with the audience, talk about what we learned and talk about stuff. I, we talked a lot about, <laughs> we did a lot of show prep today, but we, you know, I don't want to, um, <laughs> no, we talked about, are we going to talk more about coronavirus, the epidemic, COVID-19, all, I don't know how you talk about it. Um, and we decided that, uh, let's, let's try to talk about it a little less today because we've been getting it so much. Um, yeah, it's going to be hard to avoid, but it's not going to be our focus. Right, right. Uh, th- there have been, I should point out, there have been a lot of people who have asked me to weigh in on the epidemic modeling, uh, because, you know, there are, uh, you know, well, uh, the, the story from the federal level is, well, first these models said uh, millions of people would die, then it said 100,000s, now it says 60,000s. Uh, what's going on? Were the models done poorly? Were they explained poorly? And in order to uh, dive into that, I actually have to dive into what those models are actually doing, which I haven't done yet. So give me a break. I'm going to try because I think like a lot of people are just giving hot takes on this. Like they're, they're making assumptions about what happened rather than actually. Are you telling me that hot takes are not the best? takes? <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't want to make an assumption about what actually happened before I look into what actually happened. And then because I know that a lot of the takes that I at first I was I was saying, you know what, maybe I should leave this up to other people uh, to talk about. But then when I looked at what the other people were doing, I said, nope, they screwed it up too much. Uh, I'm going to have to do it myself, but I'll do it in a different episode. Um, and, and while we may not be always uh, purely an evidence based podcast, uh, we, we, we try to make clear uh, what is opinion and what is evidence based? Yeah, no, I shoot from the hip sometimes, and I and you know sometimes, I I think the audience of this podcast is smart. I think that they can tell when I'm shooting from the hip or when I'm just um, talking talking to you and having a good time, like I was uh, just saying what's on the top of my mind in my living room or whatever, um, versus some well-researched stuff. Everything we do is kind of, and we're going to talk about this today in terms of the pot of yeah, I was going to say, that's, that's going to come up later, so keep that in mind. Yeah, everything, to, everything is on a spectrum, and it's important that the audience knows what it is. I think the way we present ourselves here on The Local Maximum and the and, uh, and given the where the audience is at, I think the audience is smart enough to know when to take me more and less seriously. Uh, that that's all I'm going to say. Uh, but yeah, no, I think the modeling is is important to talk about. I've been really frustrated by reading coronavirus takes online. I mean, it's you know you have all these people dying here in New York, and now I have a lot of people online who are still in denial, and they're like, well. Where I'm like is not nothing like New York, you know, and it's like, okay, that's true. Maybe less people will die where you are, hopefully. But to see people go from, oh, come on, two people have died. This is not a big deal to, oh, come on, 10,000 people have died. This is not a big deal. It's like, when are you going to admit like 
you know, hey, sometimes bad things happen. And then there's the other side. There's the ultra alarmists who never want to open up anything. And once again, we have like this binary distinction. It's hard to walk the rope in the middle uh, where where you actually look at the evidence and decide what to do, which um, is a lot of people don't want to do that because you actually have to learn about what's going on rather than just using your preconceived biases and, um, you know, <laughs> make a make a determination. But uh, a lot of people online don't want to do that right now, uh, which is, it, well, it's frustrating. Maybe I should just uh, step back a little bit. I, I, I have so many things I want to say in response, but none of them will... Uh lead us further down our agenda for this show. So I'm going to compartmentalize that and move on. Okay. Okay. So you want to talk about who's uh, taking uh, who wants to take photos of our buttholes? Is that what this is about? Where, where, how did uh, well, we get into when that? When you put it that way, uh, it, it almost sounds less disturbing than it actually is. <laughs> um. Well, tell me about this because so this is a kind of a funny thing to start out with. So I, I like these kind of big data um Big data concerns, privacy concerns, emerging technology, um, and I've heard something about this before. But what is it you found about the uh, the smart toilet? Is that what is that what it is? Uh, I I think it's yeah it's 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 part of a a smart toilet system, uh, and I'm 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 looking for the oh here here's. Here's the the money phrase, and so I'm I'm looking yeah. at the the abstract of uh, this paper, which was published on April sixth of twenty twenty, proposed um, by the Stanford the, the Stanford of the School of Medicine, Stanford. Yeah, so the 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 journal is Nature Biomedical Engineering, um, and and the title of the paper is a mountable toilet system for personalized health monitoring via the analysis of excreta, um, and the the so called the 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 money quote uh, in in the uh, the abstract here is each user of the toilet is identified through their fingerprint and the distinctive features of their anoderm yada 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 wait, yada wait wait what is uh, well, what guess, is an anoderm the, yada, the yada yada well so we'll get to that in a second the yada okay. yada yada is actually important here um and the data are securely stored and analyzed in an encrypted cloud server um so the the article that led me to this or the the blog post that led me to this was talking about how um even anonymized data can be basically reverse engineered. Um, so whatever it is that that they're collecting here and storing uh, is is only as secure as as uh, we choose to believe it is. That if someone with uh, sufficient resources and ingenuity uh, is absolutely could reverse uh, engineer this. Okay. Now the anoderm, uh, to to put it scientifically, uh, is. Uh, the 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 bottom part of the anus. Uh, it's it's That's the last uh, mile of. <laughs> okay. It's it's the last mile of the digestive tract. So they, in addition to your fingerprint on your fingers, they are fingerprinting your butthole uh, to identify you and match your medical records and and what is coming out of you for scientific analysis. Which, I. I I suppose I should be more disturbed by the fact that they're collecting all this medical data. Uh, well, but what pushes are they collecting the it yet, or is, are they just proposing it? Well, I, I don't think this is a a a system that has been you know th- this this is a scientific paper, right. not a uh, not a a Silicon Valley startup yet. Um, right. But there have been crazy startups before. Uh, it's only a matter of time. Absolutely, and and actually, when I when I saw this, um, 
my first reaction was has this has has this blogger fallen victim to the the classic uh somebody shared something from the onion uh and i didn't realize it was the onion uh because there actually was and, and i had to look it up to figure out what the what the name of it was but there was uh an infomercial on adult swim back in november of 2014 uh for a product called smart pipe uh which is pretty much exactly this hmm. uh and 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 the the infomercial it's it's 11 minutes it's 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 worth a worth a gander uh but but they they make fun of the the fundamental concept of this technology um as well as the concept of of governmental and congressional oversight uh as well as the whole startup culture and the idea of, of so, disrupt and it, back up a little go, bit go ahead Let, yeah. back up a little bit because i think people just want to know how how this works <laughs> it's a like so it's a smart toilet you sit down on it and they there's a camera on the bottom of the toilet that takes a picture up at you is that how that this is working so I, I can't claim to have who've actually purchased and read the entire paper. So I'm working off the extract. But, it, a- but it does sound that, in fact, uh, there, there is some way of photographing your butthole uh, to identify you. All right. Um, but, but in addition to that, it also has, uh, let's see here, um, the, the smart toilet, which is self-contained and operates autonomously by leveraging pressure and motion sensors, analyzes the user's urine using standard of care colometric assay that... Uh, assay that traces red green blue values from images yada yada yada, yada. so so basically they're going to test your urine they're going to test your poop and they know on the bristol stool scale which which i'll yeah. give them this that using the bristol stool scale uh, can give you some very valuable information right. about your overall day oh sure health. sure uh and they know they they, uh, they know um uh they're using those pictures or those images or whatever those scans of your tuchus to know who you are. So they're going to compare you right. with so th- millions of other is... uh, profiles, shall we say. Well, it, well it is, it, part of what they say is that this should be uh, equivalent to the, the uh, analysis work that a trained medical person, pers- uh, personnel could provide. Okay. Uh, so perhaps they're looking at cutting out the, uh, the analyst, the, the, the doctor or the, the lab tech, um, which might be desirable to some. Uh, but I, I think the reason, and it's unclear whether they would be collecting your data and and comparing it to tens, hundreds, thousands, millions of other people. Although, uh, if if this were to become a startup, then obviously they would, because who doesn't want the big data? Right. Um, but but my my take on it is that the the uh, the digital fingerprint of of your anus uh, is is being used because uh, rarely does a toilet serve a single. Uh, user, um, right? I, I, perhaps, perhaps uh, those of us that that live in in one bedroom apartments are, are an exception to the rule there. But well, but usually my toilet, a, a toilet is, in a home. I, I every oh, time I have a guest, they'll use the toilet immediately. I don't know what it is. Right, and you don't want your your health analysis being tainted. I feel bad about that choice of words already. Uh, <laughs> by by the 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 output, the input yeah. uh, of another user. And, and so being Both able to identify, and input. yeah. So so being able to your output input to the receptacle, but yeah, being able to identify from whence it came uh, is useful there. Why they need to do that using this particular method, especially if they claim to also have access to fingerprints, right? Uh, seems seems unnecessary. It's like and, well, you you log super, in, yeah, like. You, you can log in whenever you do it or something and tell them who you are rather than having it yeah, scan you. 
there, there, there are plenty of systems which we log into electronically already. There, any system that has you know a retinal scan uh, isn't using that for the convenience of the user, so they don't have to type in a password. Uh, it's it's, it's for added levels of security. Ah, okay. Uh, but so, if it's in so your own I, home, I, it might I'm, not be uh, that necessary. Uh, yeah. Well, okay, I, I guess I guess uh, face recognition on iPhones and and uh, and Android phones is is maybe a step in a different direction. I'm I'm letting my bias towards uh, uh, defense uh, industry security drive me there. That that uh, use of biometrics in that. Uh, in that paradigm is is never for the user's convenience. It's to provide additional security. And and in this case, I don't think you're worried about somebody sneaking into your home and and maliciously, uh, you know, logging in as you to your toilet and then providing uh, uh, <laughs> say, additional data. Maliciously to, to bombing my toilet. I'm you haven't yeah. met my cousins, but anyway, uh, <laughs> they don't listen to the show. If they do, yeah, I've, I'd be I've very intentionally impressed. eaten no fiber for weeks, yeah. and then I'm going to come visit you and screw up your data pool. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, when I first listened to this, and I saw the the parody as well, uh, the people who wrote the parody actually got this um, from from other places because this 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 idea has been going on for a while. I read uh, Michio Kaku. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a he's a, like a physicist, a futurist. Um, kind of, I think he. I think he lives here in Brooklyn. I think he's in the Cooney system. Um, so he's on he, he's on a lot of like, um, you know, you could watch a lot of physics documentaries and stuff. He wrote a book called The Future of Humanity. And I think it was in that book. It's been maybe 10 years since I read it. But he would talk about, you know, uh, having a smart toilet in the future where, you know, you'd use it. And then essentially everyone would, it would know when you have cancer like, like years earlier than... Uh, than, than any test could, and you know, you, you just be able to know things and monitor your health and and stay healthy just from your smart toilet. So it seems like it would be a no brainer to get it if um, if it like uh, you know helps you with your health. And then all of a sudden, uh, we are all uh, <laughs> we're, we're all indexed. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can't argue with that. That there are definite medical benefits that could be provided by this system. Um, but what one the picture the 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 thought of it taking pictures of buttholes yeah. uh, just it, it pushes me over the edge. And two, uh, the source that I, I found this through, uh, Joe Huffman's blog, which I, I think I've mentioned on the show before. Yeah. Um, he he is uh, coming from a world where he is very focused on on security in a, a digital world, um, and and so you know his his take on the fact that that uh, when all this data is being collected, even if it's in a anonymized and secure database, uh, with with sufficient Effort and manpower, uh, or not really manpower, machine power, uh, you can de-anonymize a database. And if we're going to put all of our uh, sensitive medical records out there like this, um, yeah, I I would very much like to know if if I have, uh, you know, impending cancer, particularly if there are things I can do to minimize the impact uh, in, in the road up to that, you know, years in advance. Do I want my employer? Do I want my insurance? Do I want a Russian hacker trolls to know this information not really and yeah. and once it's out there i can't pull it back up through the toilet it's kind of scary it's like oh my god they're all gonna know aren't they they're all gonna have the <laughs> that's yeah. the future and, they're and, all gonna... and i i can't imagine that that a, a a smart toilet like this would not be a connected toilet oh yeah uh, and and so uh even if if 
they're doing everything else right. Uh, you have all the problems of the the Internet of Things introduced, which which I know we've talked about before. That, yeah. that there are huge risk surfaces involved. There. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, so, I don't know if there's a link to this particular episode I have on that, but um, maybe we'll find it after yeah. the show. Local media. I, it's it's yeah. much. Much like there are, are people who refuse to drive a car with uh, with any sort of computer in it, uh, and so they're valuing you know those those late sixties, early seventies automobiles, the the type of, of car that will survive an EMP blast. Mm. Um, there, I I would not be surprised if there comes a time when there are holdouts, there are luddites who will only poop in a an analog toilet, <laughs> an analog toilet. Just the the idea that we have to talk about analog toilets sounds. Um... Uh, my, my bathroom is inside a Faraday cage. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, all right. Well, what do you guys think of this? Localmaxradio at gmail.com if you want to weigh in. Uh, Localmaxradio.com slash 114 if you want to get some of the um, uh, if you want to get the links. And I'll try to try to be very uh, thorough on the links to this article because I think there are a lot of good ones. Um <laughs> Let's talk about this uh, Guardian article from last year. So this is a good time to return to something, uh, uh, an important trend. From the before times. Well, yeah, from the before times. November 27th, 2019. And it, I read this article. I was like, oh, this is such a dumb article. Uh, because it's talking about podcasting. Um, podcasting, obviously, as a podcaster, very important platform to me. It's also very important as a tech platform, um, as, as a media platform, is what's going on in business, what's going on in politics. All of this is coming to a head in podcasting. And so a lot of old media have something to say about it. Uh, the Guardian article, w- w- what is the subtitle? What's the, um, what's the overall title? Shoot, I didn't write the overall title here, did I? I think I missed it. I don't even remember where I linked to it. <laughs> anyway, the, uh, our, the, uh, the, the Guardian article says, bedroom broadcasters are pumping out pods unchecked. A pod is a podcaster, by the way, not tied by podcast. Bedroom broadcasters are pumping out pods. Unchecked. I don't like the term pods, by the way. I don't, other podcasters like it. I just find no, it. No one likes it. No one likes podcast either. But yeah, but uh, podcast sounds better. Bo- both it is become ingrained and nobody has a better alternative to substitute yeah. in for it. It's uh, check out the pod to me is equivalent to someone on YouTube <laughs> saying smash that like button. I just don't like it. Um, okay, oh, here, okay, here we go. So, right. So the the headline is "Our podcasters a disaster." Excuse me, our podcasts a disaster waiting to happen. <laughs> and the subtitle is "Bedroom podcasters are pumping out pods unchecked, and now some are being accused of plagiarism, voyeurism, and even scuffering lawsuits." Is this booming industry doomed? <laughs> we're doomed. They, they Aaron. don't stretch out doomed. We're doomed. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, we're... that was that was my editorialization. Yeah. No. I, yeah. So. Overall impression, this is a classic case of old media snubbing their nose at new media, even though old media is uh, the problem or has many of the same problems. We've been through this with bloggers uh, 10, no, more like 15 years ago at this point. We've been through this with the blogosphere. We've been through this with just internet websites 20 years ago, you know, with Monica Lewinsky and all that. Um, And so, you know, they're going to argue they already have a playbook on this. They're going to argue that podcasting is a bad source of news and information. Uh, newspapers like us are the only way to go. They use the phrase Wild West. Wild West is uh, a very good catchphrase that is 
always used when you're like, I don't, there's too much freedom going on here. We've got to use the phrase well, Wild West. It's suspect when it comes from something like The Guardian, because yeah. uh, anytime they use Wild West, it's definitely a pejorative about uh, those, those cowboy Americans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, again, I don't want to make too many assumptions about, well, I'm not really making assumptions about the UK. I'm, I'm more making assumptions about uh, Guardian uh, in the UK, which I don't know if my impression of The Guardian is really correct, but maybe those of you who are in the UK can, can correct me on that. But, um, you know, they... They, they clearly want to send in the legal system. They want to bring law and order to podcasters, um, whether it's the British legal system or the European legal system, kind of like a GDPR for podcasts, I can imagine. All the things that make the internet less fun. Um, and I say European legal system. I know that uh, uh, the UK is, is no longer in the EU, although I think that um, The Guardian... <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure The Guardian was not for that, were they? Uh I, I'm just taking a guess. Um, so yeah, they, they they want the podcast police, and they want the podcast police now. Am I um, am I over? I don't like when people say you know. So you're saying this when they're not really saying that, but that kind of that's kind of what it sounds like. Am I being unfair here? Well, it's I, that's that's definitely the vibe I get from it, uh, and and I don't know that this is particularly an, an editorial. It's in the the culture and the TV and radio section. Right. Um, but it's probably worth pointing out that, that the author here, Jack, I, I assume his last name is pronounced Seal. Um, his his bio is, is his short bio, at least, is uh, that he's a freelance journalist specializing in TV. He writes regularly for The Guardian and Radio Times. Uh, so okay. he, he is uh, in, in multiple dimensions uh, part of the legacy media uh, right. in that. And I think particularly his involvement in radio uh, would lead him to be heavily biased against podcasts. Uh, right. Although it's, not all radio it's, it's is. It's kind of the modern variant yeah. on pirate radio. Right, right. Not not all radio is. A lot of radio uh, hosts and programs have translated very nicely into podcasting. Um, but, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's interesting because 2020 clearly brings a whole new set of challenges to the media landscape with what's going on. Uh, so we should remember what they're saying in 2019. Is it still relevant? Um, not all the problems that they bring up in this article should be ignored. Uh, they're real problems. Uh, it's important to ask, you know, compared to what? Uh, so there's plagiarism. Have newspapers been known to do plagiarism? Have blogs done plagiarism? Have uh, radio hosts plagiarized? Uh, have political have, candidates plagiarized? No, they, they're beyond that. <laughs> they never do that. Uh, <laughs> no, it's... Uh, it's um, I, I do think that you have to ask kind of a compare to what question. And so they bring up a few examples where I almost feel like the examples prove the rule because one is one is comedians, right? It's the, it's the Dollop podcast. It's a U.S. history podcast. They apparently, what, lifted one of their routines from someone else and then that someone else got mad and then it's like, okay, comedians using someone else's joke. Ha ha, this has happened before. Well, and... and Forgive me because it's been a while since I've read I, the, I don't like text it, of the but, article yeah. here. But but I I believe the criticism of the dollop wasn't even that they they lifted a joke. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. So, I'm sorry so, to them if I'm so, wrong. Then. No, no. Their, their their spiel is that they uh, one one host uh, the they, there are two hosts. 
one comes into the the episode with you know no no information about what they're going to talk about or or maybe just you know the title of the episode uh and the other has this crazy story from history either about a person or a particular uh particular event uh and and lays out the details and the other kind of reacts in real time uh it's it's a little bit like drunk history uh in a sense okay. except they're not necessarily uh shit-faced and uh, and it's 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 audio, not video, and it, it tends to run uh, longer than than a drunk history segment. Uh, so I, I believe what they did was the the one host that was providing the the historical content uh, heavily utilized uh, another uh, content creator's uh, uh, material. Um, so uh, ba- basically, he was he was reading off their script for for you know the historical. The, the the factual content um, yeah. uh, and and at least initially did not provide a reference saying that this is where they got that info from uh, and so it could very easily be perceived as they were passing it off as their own research um, got it, got it. it wasn't quite the same as Taking I'm going to read you the, right. this Wikipedia article and and get your reaction uh, but but it wasn't that far off from that and and it sounds like after they got called on it they did go back and and give credit where credit was due uh, but that does not appear to be uh, sufficient uh, for yeah. the aggrieved party. Okay, so that even that proves my point even more. It just doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. I'd be really happy if someone took my thing, and then I'd ask for like it's not like if they asked for more of an attribution. I'm sure the people would have given it to them, um, or they yeah, did. And, and it, I, I've never been to their webpage. I've I've listened to yeah. a couple episodes uh, for unrelated reasons. Um, but I, I don't know if they provide copious, you know, show notes with references there or not. And if it was just a matter of they didn't say it out loud in the audio, which that I could see that as being poor form if if you provide a reference, but you have to dig for it to, to know who actually came up with it. Right. Um, but, I try to make been my dealing with this. Yeah, we, we've been trying. We've been struggling with this this fair use concept for well on a decade now. Um, and, and there are some degrees of it that are, you know, just poor form. And there are some that are actively malicious. Um, like what was the, the, the term for um, uh, it wasn't freebooting, but it was when when people were taking things like from from YouTube and then reposting them on on Facebook so that they could monetize it. And the original content creators were getting no no credit for it because uh, Facebook doesn't pay out the way that YouTube does. And uh yeah. Or, or when uh, I, I know there was a, a long running thing of, of people would post other people's blog content or photos or, or, or web comics. And they would not only would they not give a link back to the original source, but sometimes they would go in and they would Photoshop out, you know, the, the watermark or the signature or the, the copyright, uh, you know, the, oh, yeah, that's, uh, uh, symbol on it, which that's that, not that goes right. from being, you know, that's malicious, not great to being actively malicious. Right. But, you know, I just I look at this example and I'm like, this is the threat to society that uh, podcasts pose, according to The Guardian. I mean, what? Yeah. Well, I, and, and, and as you alluded to, it. as you alluded to before, uh, this is not a podcast problem. Comedy has a longstanding uh, cultural problem with plagiarism. Yeah. Um, with people stealing people's jokes, whether intentionally or not, and, and that creating huge beefs. Um, and because of the nature of the industry, it's really difficult to go out and and pursue a uh, a, a a lawsuit against somebody and actually get uh, get damages when they stole your comedy routine. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so 
Uh, what else? What's the other example they have? The other example they have is uh, true crime. It's people who are trying to, um, they're trying to be citizen journalists. They're trying to see, well, I, I, you know, honestly, true crime is a big, big podcast topic right now. It's been for a while. It's one of the biggest and I, right, because I, I don't listen to it. Serial was kind of the breakthrough yeah. that, but I'm just going to say podcasts like, a thing for everybody. I don't listen to it. I don't get into it, so I don't. I don't know enough about it. But yeah, it, I, I imagine I, it's just people who are like, I am going to take matters into my own hands, and I'm going to study this case, which either the legal system didn't do properly, or, or didn't handle properly, or the police didn't handle properly, or detectives didn't handle properly. I'm going to do citizen journalism, and I'm going to find out what really happened. And they're like, oh, well, it's just people who are uh, poking around where they don't belong. This sounds like uh, it's probably a good thing for society to have. <laughs> yeah, and and I guess I'm I'm speaking from a point of ignorance to some extent because I, I never listened to Serial. And I don't think I, the closest thing I probably have to uh, to to listen to a true crime podcast is is actually uh, the the Slow Burn podcast, which which I highly recommend. Um uh, it, I think, and it, it actually came out of Slate. So uh, they they're straddling that uh, that old media, new media barrier, and that was at least uh, in its original production was purely a uh, a podcast product. Uh, however, it was coming out of an established media organ. Um, but yeah. but I mean, the 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 first season was about the Watergate scandal, and that came out in in what. 2017. So it it wasn't the kind of true crime that, that they're talking about here, uh, which I think is particularly interested in kind of the the ongoing case or the 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 case that that not all the answers were were provided. This this is an open and shut case when we're talking about Watergate. It's more that the people of my generation, our generation, uh, we didn't live through it, and so there are a lot of things about how it actually went down that that we maybe don't get the nuance of, and the people sure. who did live through it, uh, maybe the benefit of of uh you know decades of 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 further research and the ability to go back uh and and see it through the lens of of history as opposed to what as it was actively unfolding can can add dimension to it um and i I think those are valuable services that can be provided uh both in the form of a podcast and in the form of uh you know long form uh investigative journalism or or uh or uh, non-fiction uh literature that that it I, I don't see what particularly separates the true crime podcast from these other forms that deal with uh, digging into uh, cr- criminal activity and, and the judicial system, other than perhaps the fact that you can get to press a lot faster with a podcast for something that's that's currently occurring. Um, right. And maybe some of the concern there is, uh, A, that the... Uh, Traditional media feels that they're getting their feet stepped on because the nightly news can't do, uh, you know, an hour long segment uh, or 12 hour long segments over the course of 12 weeks on a particular case when they've got one hour to cover all the news. Uh, and should be pointed and, out that and, a and lot if they're of doing these... the 24 hour. Oh, go ahead. A lot of these, the, the true crime podcasters and also the comedy podcasters are not getting paid that much to do it. So well, they, can, yeah. they, can, uh, they can afford to cover these minor stories that are of human interest that maybe the mainstream media, I, I, I don't like to use the term mainstream media for this particular case, but that the, the old media uh, can't cover. 
Yeah, you you can you can make a very valid argument that they're filling a niche that that is being underserved. Uh, the the perhaps legitimate concern is uh, one of of jury pool tainting. Um, hmm. That that if if your podcast is coming out before this goes to trial, um, particularly if it is a very uh, one with one with wide distribution and a large audience, uh, you you could have a significant impact on the jury pool. Um, I don't know. Question man. becomes yeah I'll, well, I'll... yeah and and. And how much? How of many that people in the jury? Are you having that, that the, how many the media at large things? isn't going to yeah. have? Yeah. Um, the the flip side of that coin is uh, that there there have been significant complaints apparently from uh, police and prosecutors that that this makes their job more difficult. Um, and and when I when I first read that I I, I literally wrote down well I, I have no sympathy for them uh, that that the uh, the, the police and the prosecution have kind of coasted on this reputation of infall- infallible justice for a couple hundred years. Um, and and the uh, number of wrongful convictions that have been uncovered in, in the past several decades uh, is, is really kind of flipping the narrative on its head there for them. And they need to just stop whining and do their job better if they want to combat that, rather than saying that podcasts are the root of the issue here. Um, right. and, and again, this is, this is a place where... Uh, DNA evidence has has done wonders, um, and uh, much much like uh, most police departments aren't going to go back and retest evidence of their own accord. That you have things like the Innocence Project that are that are pushing that uh, a nonprofit group. Uh, not every police department has the resources, nor nor do all the interested parties have the resources to go out and hire professional investigators or detectives to fully pursue all the possible leads here. Um, once the police find a, a a case they think they can make, they want to close that. Uh, and so, uh, podcasters, if they can fill some of that that need, uh, are providing a valuable service. Yeah, this is one of those. This is one of those great things. It almost sounds like. Um, yeah. well, yeah, and, and if they're I, putting out garbage, then that should be reasonably easy be, for yeah. for the the people involved to uh, to separate the wheat from the chaff there. Yeah. All right. I know we have a couple more points on this, and then, then we should move on. But, um, uh, Aaron, I think you had a couple more points on this, and then uh, and then we'll... Yeah. Well, so I, I think one of the things they brought up was uh, uh, emotional ma- manipulation, um, hmm. which cer- certainly it is easier to do in this kind of a, a, a longer-form media. Um, oh, isn't all the media emotional manipulation? Well, that really sets me off. I mean, absolutely. What? Uh, well, I, I, what? I think the biggest piece here is is the distinction between uh, and and again, this is not a podcast problem. This is a problem yeah. that faces all of media. Is where do you draw the line uh, between education and and enter- entertainment? Uh, so, in the traditional media uh, world, you have the the uh, ever blurring line between their editorial programming and their news programming. And, uh, and, and, and again, we're looking similar. at a news article that is really an editorial right now. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, and and, so. and and similarly uh, on podcasts, you have some that are that are going to be you know just the facts, ma'am, nothing but the facts, and there are right. some that are they're they're crafting a narrative, and and maybe they have a motivation that is that is political or moral or or ethical, uh, and maybe their motivation is I want to paint the most captivating story I can. So that I can sell more Casper mattresses or or whatever the the, right. the advertising product. Well, product it's, of the it's day interesting is because I think they're trying to build their audience around. here at the local maximum. We're in between. We go back and forth, but I think we're very open about what we do here, and I think yeah. we have an well, audience and, and, smart enough to understand. And it's not necessarily a binary thing, right? Um, you 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 can be somewhere on the spectrum there, and I think uh, 
the, the place where this is a concern is where you, you blur that line and you do not accurately represent the story that you're telling. For, for example, um, and, and I would have to, to um, do some research on, on exactly where this falls on the spectrum, but there have been a number of podcasts I've, I've listened to that have sold themselves, uh, at least in their, you know, their trailers and their initial marketing as you know, true crime is maybe not the right term for it, but as a factual investigative podcast. Uh, and it became somewhat apparent maybe three quarters of the way through that they are they are heavily dramatizing th- some things and there are some fictional elements to this story and it makes right. for a better story, but it is not the bill of goods that I was initially sold. And right. and I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. I, I listen to uh, quite a bit of, of fiction uh, podcasts. Uh, however, I, I don't like listening to what I think is investigative journalism and finding out partway through that it has been fiction all along. And uh, a, a, it makes me feel cheated and B, makes me feel like a little bit of an idiot for trusting them uh, so far. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if people, so, you have to be discerning. Yeah. And and maybe, maybe it's because I didn't do my due diligence that, that it's that it's kind of part of the experience. They don't want to break the fourth wall. But if you if you go to their website and you look into their About Me page, maybe it says that, you know, this is actually a fictional podcast based on yada, yada, yada. And we're trying to, to sculpt this this particular atmosphere. Uh, however, if, if you have to dig that far for it, then maybe they're doing you a disservice. It, okay. it, it makes me think I, a little bit of... Read... Uh... Oh, go ahead. No, I just want to read, continue, I just want to read that last thing you wrote, uh, because I I think it's important here. You you wrote, I think this is largely more sour grapes from people who feel that they got into the reporting and producing business the hard way under the old model, and they don't like seeing folks who did not come up through the same path being more successful than they are. And my response to that is, man, it's not like podcasting is easy. Like, people just start podcasting and, like, boom, they're successful and they have all this, you know— Podcasting is hard work. We've been doing this with full-time jobs for a long period of time. Most people don't get anywhere. Um, and also, like, it, it's not like I, Max Sklar, am going to replace the tech press. That's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm not trying to take anyone's place. I think there are things that people who are in the tech press can do that I can't do. But I also think that given that I am an engineer, I work in the tech industry, and I study certain things, there are, like... I think that my voice has a, uh, 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 or my perspective has uh, some positive contributions to add to the Potterverse conversation. And so it just seems like you can look at like one or two areas of someone making it big and being like, oh, look at these guys just getting rich right off the bat. That's not how it's happening. Yeah, well, and and, and that's not a, a something unique to podcasting. I, I think there's there's a, a valuable analogy to be made to the music industry in in that um, the the barrier to entry to creating a podcast is virtually nothing uh, compared to uh, you know a decade or two ago. If you wanted to get onto uh, terrestrial radio or or onto you know network TV or even local TV, uh, you you had to work your way up through the ranks, right? You, you know, may, maybe you could get onto you know community access television with very little effort, but but that was about as far as you could get without going through the old system. Did Weston uh, similarly have in community access and, television? Uh, I don't even know. Oh, I would think that would be something that you would have been I, on. I I know the the I know that my hometown does have a community access oh, okay. uh, television station. <laughs> I may have watched it once. Yeah, uh, but Brooklyn but, uh, does. I've been on the Brooklyn one here. The uh, yeah, where they film it. The, the um, 
Public Access in Brooklyn is actually right across the street from my apartment, and it's in the coffee shop. And I went in the coffee shop, and then I, I realized, oh, that's a, where they filmed the Public Access stuff, and I went on there <laughs> once. But anyway. But I, I, I think the... the and, and and there are some people that they can start a podcast and have a huge audience overnight, but they sure. are very much the exception to the rule. Much like in the music industry, um, you know, 20 years ago, uh, if you wanted to get big and get distribution, you needed to get a contract because you need someone to make records or CDs and get and, and you know, negotiate to get you airplay on the radio. Whereas now uh, you can cut a track, whether, it, you know, with with GarageBand or something uh, and, and put it out there. Uh, you can even put it out on on large distribution networks like Spotify with with fairly little friction yeah. uh, and, and have, you know, have access to a huge audience, even if you don't necessarily build it up overnight. Um, there are some people who who burst onto the scene and are immediate successes. Like uh, what was it? Elon Musk released a uh, a single not that long ago, and and he, he it, it got a lot of downloads. Not because but wait it a was minute, good he's Elon at all, Musk. but it's because like, yeah, yeah he I, that's that's what I'm ways. saying. He he's the overnight success. But However, he's not an overnight people... success. It took him a long time to build his fame <laughs> well, on the that, other that, side. That, that's because his success is elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. But but there are plenty of people who have used the the. Low, lower barrier of entry in, in music now uh, to to grind at it for for years and and perhaps decades and built it into a career who would never have been able to break through in the old system uh, yeah. much, much mm -hmm. like like you were saying uh, succeeding at podcasting is is in, in in a sense still the hard way there's there's nothing easy about it except that the barriers to entry are lower you still have to earn every single uh, you know subscription or, or listener that that you accumulate nobody's going to throw that at you yeah. Okay. I just want to wrap this up and draw some conclusions here and some <laughs> observations. Um, I want to support a free press. People talk about the marketplace of ideas a lot. We're not just talking about ideas here. We're talking about the marketplace of information. Um, and it really pains me to see uh, news publications talking about restricting the marketplace of information. Uh, it, it's... Uh, it's hard to explain. I mean, podcasting has been one of the freest mediums out there. I mean, and where all of the other platforms have been closing up, uh, big tech, of course. Look at Medium itself now. Medium, I've been talking to you recently how they've been taking down all these coronavirus articles, which is really frustrating to me. It's not like they're taking down things that are... Um, uh, man, it, 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 they're, they're yeah, taking well, down it, articles it, it that I don't necessarily on... agree with, but it, it's it's very it's very frustrating how they're starting to censor. We know that all the other ones are censoring. Um, I learned at, at uh, least on some of the other platforms, they'll yeah. they'll label it with you know with a banner that says you know this yeah. this may contain inaccurate information or something like that. Uh, but but yeah. the 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 straight pulling is I, now. I'm I'm curious. But uh, wait. Have, I, yeah, oh, sorry, go, go ahead. Go on. I'll, I'll loop back to this. No, I, I just want to say, like, how, you know, what, what I learned a few weeks ago in my conversation with Naomi Brockwell, how you take laws that seem reasonable, like copyright and, um, and, and libel and stuff, and, you know, but the, then the government says, oh, okay, but the platforms aren't, um, aren't liable for those things. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. If you don't want to be liable for those things, then you have to listen to us. And now you have to give us a backdoor uh, to your security, and, and you can't do full encryption and, um, and all this stuff. So all I feel like all of these... Um, articles or call to action against bad actors, which are usually, you know, a lot of the bad actors that they talk about are dinky little podcasters that don't have any uh, um, 
you know, don't have any effect on the world. Now, the, the dollop people are, that that's a big podcast, but still the issue itself was not very big. And so uh, a lot of this, I feel, is like a Trojan horse to restrict information where really we should have broad information and good tools to separate out good information from bad information. And so I just think podcasting has been a really great way to get information. Having a single point of view is really important because now when you have the comment section, it's like the peanut club. Everybody just piles on everybody else. And it's like, oh, you're an idiot for saying that. I have a quip back where it's like, no, sometimes you need a few minutes to explain your point of view. And um, even over a few episodes, over months and months, to explain how your point of view is fitting the data. And your currency as a podcaster is your personal credibility, which I think is really important. Not necessarily, uh, you know, when you listen to a podcaster, you're not saying, oh, I'm listening to them because a lot of people listen to them. I'm listening to them. It's usually I listen to them because I like them and because what they're saying is makes sense and they're not putting me, like, you know, they're not um, taking me down the, the wrong road. And, you know, a, a, a lot of people on on some of these other platforms are not judged in that same way. And that's why I think the Potiverse is so important. Um, a lot of people's credibility has been tested in the, last few, in the last few months. You can't BS your way through the coronavirus uh, crisis. <laughs> and I don't expect people to be Nostradamus. We certainly weren't Nostradamus on this, this podcast on, in that crisis. But people need to have a degree of self-awareness when you have a very personal connection to your audience that allows you to say, hey, you know what? I was wrong about this. Let me go back and let me see where I was wrong. And, you know, and, and let's talk about that. Oh, an audience member wrote something in. They, they challenged me on this thing. Let me, let me explain that a little bit more. And every time you do that, you gain credibility. Uh, whereas the, just the, the sniping and the, the, the articles and media, again, a lot of these newspapers, you, you just know it's the newspaper. You don't even know who wrote it. They just don't have to go through that. And I feel like the, um, the way, I, I'm trying to think how to wrap this up here, but I just think that um, podcasting is a boon to getting credible information sources and not a disaster. And I think that the, to paint it as a disaster is really trying to keep us in the dark <laughs> and uh, keep us dependent on less credible news sources. Not that some of these newspapers aren't credible, but we have um, it's definitely missing something. Does that make so, sense? So I've, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Okay. Um, I, I have I have two things to add. One, a clarification yeah. is that, that when you said we need to have a single point of view, you're not saying that we all need to toe the line. You're saying that, oh, no. that there's value in getting the view of an individual as opposed to kind of a mob consensus. Right, and trying um, to get to know that individual, know what makes them tick, yeah. know where they're coming from, and that that way you can learn from them and vice versa. Other than yeah, it's po like podcasting yeah. has the potential to be a much more intimate uh, interaction with the audience than many of these other uh, platforms that we've talked about. Right, right. Um, yeah, the, the you should absolutely to... get your, your your news sources from lots of different places, but to get to know the individual places makes you much better at evaluating what they're saying versus just the... uh, getting drinking from the fire holes. <laughs> The, the other thing I wanted to ask about is is with the in the context of censorship and uh, what we've we've been talking about off off, off air uh, about medium in the last couple of weeks. Um, are you aware of any cases of uh, podcast platforms? So I'm thinking, you know, I, I is, is it is it still 
properly referred to as iTunes or, or the the Apple Podcast Store, yeah. um, and and Spotify and SoundCloud. I, I know that that many of them will tag episodes or podcasts as explicit based on their content. But you are you aware of any cases of them uh, censoring either particular episodes or or I dropping believe, podcasts entirely? I believe Alex Jones uh, info. Okay, Wars yeah, I, was, I, that was the one I was yeah. thinking about in the back of my head. But that's that's yeah. the only case i can think of that i but that i'm aware it's of. only censored from the podcatchers you could still go on his website and get it right uh, but right and, yeah. and that's that i mean that's that has more to do with the decentralized nature of the internet right. um and it's and, not censored and, everywhere on every podcatcher just on apple right and and i don't know if you could do this in in the the apple podcast app or not but but i know i i use a third-party podcast uh listening application and so uh I can I can look for podcasts in any of the the usual places you look, or I can just directly put a URL URL in there. So the the dis, decentralized nature of the internet uh, means that I'm I'm not dependent on on a, a gatekeeper of one of those walled gardens uh, determining what podcasts I am I am eligible to listen to. Yeah, it's really actually kind of amazing. It's really sort of points in the direction of what something like. Facebook and Twitter and all this could be if they had a different architecture, which sadly they do not. Um, okay, so uh, some interesting podcast developments here. Uh, you know, so mentioned in the article, they talk about the New York Police podcast. There's a New York City Police podcast. I did not know that before today. Did Did you know that? I was not aware of it. it so it's I'm, the I'm other side exactly what yeah. the focus is. Uh, well, it's it's kind of like the other side of true crime where. They're giving the police point of view, like, hey, we're trying to figure this out. <laughs> Can anyone help us? Uh, is is my uh, my impression of it. Um, I, I probably could look at it a little more. I'll link to the New York Times article about it, which is also from November. Um, also, a lot of politicians have been jumping on the podcast wagon. One that I wanted to mention was Newt Gingrich. I don't know. I have listened to a few of those. He started only a little over a year ago. He's former Speaker of the House uh, in the U.S., former Republican Speaker of the House, for those of you who are listening from uh, from abroad. Uh and so his podcast, I was very surprised to learn, was not just some former politician on the radio taking callers. It was actually like a researched, um, you know, almost a tech podcast in some in some manner, a geopolitical podcast and a history podcast. He covers like a lot of stuff. Um, and it it's a little too like you know, po- polished. He doesn't want his, his personality to come through that much. Like it's, it's too, it's edited and polished. Like he interviews the people and then, uh, it's almost, it's almost like he writes the questions afterwards and then it gets, um, re- I mean, I've done that a couple of times, not going to lie, but for the most part, <laughs> I, you know, uh, I, I don't do it, but you know, it's like they'll listen to the interviews and they'll be like, okay, I'll ask the question that he'll then, the other guy will then answer in the, in the interview. Um, so it's, uh, it's, that's an interesting one. And then of course the big news this week, is it this week or the last few weeks is the Joe Biden podcast. Now we have presidential candidates jumping yeah, on the they- bandwagon. I assume, but I could be mistaken, that it did not exist before everybody went into uh, their their no. isolation or or stay at home. Uh, that that it was it was spawned because of that. Um, although it, I would not be shocked to hear that that it had been going on for for weeks before. No, no, no. And let's let's let's, let's get the let's get the date of when this thing started. Uh, 
you, you know, I'm going to have to go to listen notes here. Tell, tell me more about here's the deal with Joe Biden. Yeah. Uh, so listen notes is actually a very good um, podcast search engine. Because uh, you can I know I can look at. Here's the deal with Joe Biden. All right. Oh, look at this. Uh, look at this cover. It's almost is that Comic Sans? I don't know if I like that. <laughs> uh, no, it looks do, like. Do not make those kind of accusations lightly. Sir. <laughs> it's almost it's it's 3D lettering. Um, it, it looks like it's a little script. Uh, it's bubble letters. Um, yeah, no, the first episode was March 29th of this year. So it, okay. it is absolutely when we when we're all forced in our homes and he's forced in his uh, rec room, I believe. And so, um, yeah, there's only been three episodes so far. And so it's interesting that they're trying to do this. They're trying to pull this off. And there have been, there's been a lot of talk about this. Uh, and it, you know, it's, uh, uh, it reminds me of my discussion with David Petruja way back in episode 41. Uh, he's uh, an American presidential historian. He talked about all the presidential elections over the last 100 years, how changing communications technology have changed the, change the nature of those elections. And it almost seems like history is both progressing uh, and also reverting back to an earlier time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I, when, when you brought this up, it, it harkened back to something, and, and it, I may have indeed heard it in your discussion with, with uh, is it, I assume it's Professor Petruja? Um, um, I don't know. Uh, but w w whatever his, his proper honorific is. Um, but uh, I, I had to go find, find some evidence to back up my, my shady recollection. And, and I found uh, a, a, a paper uh, titled Oratorical... Let me try that again. Oratorical Footing in a New Medium, Recordings of Presidential Campaign Speeches, 1896 to 1912. Uh, and uh, the... the the piece that kind of sealed the deal for yes, I, I was remembering this more more or less correctly, um, was uh, the uh, a, a article in Phonoscope, uh, which which was a, a journal for the recording business in 1900. 1900, um, wow, 120 yeah. so, years ago. So more more than a century ago, uh, which yeah. which said uh, quote It is now suggested that instead of making a, a laborious campaign, candidates devote their time at home. Taking into, uh, talking into a funnel and leave the campaign committees and the phonographs to distribute their views to an admiring public, uh, which with with the the combination of, of coronavirus uh, forcing our, our candidates to stay at home, uh, and if you swap phonographs with uh, with podcasts, is basically exactly what's happening here. Uh, that he's he's using this medium as a way to talk directly to his his uh, his public, his followers, people who otherwise might attend a, a rally or a speech or watch a debate. Um, however, I think uh, there you can get a lot more people to listen to a podcast than you can get to actually show up to a physical rally. Well, especially um, now. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but uh, and 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 you can distribute that podcast to people in all fifty states. When on, on a good day, you might be able to hit. Uh, Let's, let's let's say you're being real aggressive. You could do uh, speeches in half a dozen states. Um, so the, there's, you know, no, nothing is new here. Uh, everything is old, um, but uh, but but we're we're doing it in new ways. So uh, I I think the concept of the podcast is not bad. Um, 
However, there there apparently have been some serious criticisms of how Biden is is particularly executing this. Well, yeah, I mean, he's trying to do a stream of pod, uh, conscious podcast. It's not really edited very much. I mean, look, uh, imagine if Trump did one. He, you know, it would just be, you know, he'd get on. He'd be like, "Today I talked to the president of Tanzania." I didn't know Tanzania. I didn't know the president. Nice guy. He was a very nice guy. You know, we talked to him. I, I don't know. That's how I imagine it going for like hours and hours. Uh, I'm, but I'm shocked that that somehow he isn't on TikTok. Like the, I don't the, know TikTok. If 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 Vine was still around, would he be doing that instead of tweeting? Yeah. Uh, maybe. Um, but anyway, so Joe Biden's obviously certain publications are going to say uh, podcast terrible no matter what. But the one I found interesting was from New York Magazine, which probably would be supportive of him. I listened to the podcast and I was like, I don't get it. I don't I don't know why people would listen to this, but I don't think I'm that's just well, one. I'm person. very curious but, whether. Uh, but I, I, I do want to not already. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, I want to read the five things because they're like, Joe Biden's podcast is bad. Here's how to make it better. And I love the (laughs) five. Lay it on us. So the first one is one, get Biden a co-host, which could work, but there's some danger in that. Like, what if he just has some comedian that's a co-host that people uh, that that starts taking over the show Two stop the. Yeah. uh, Let let me let me drill down on a little bit further. I mean, the obvious thing would be once he picks a running mate to, to bring them on because yes. uh, they should be uh, doing a lot of the things that a good co-host would do in this context. However, that is a great idea. There, there is a risk to uh, a co-host because uh, you don't want the perception to be that we've got someone young and hip and who knows this podcasting thing. And they're on there to keep Joe kind of on the leash and to keep him from sounding like an old fogey and a crazy person on the podcast. Uh, because that only cements uh, all the negative perceptions about Joe Biden. Uh, and and it's going to be difficult to uh, not create that perception because that is clearly what this person would be doing. Yeah. Uh, so uh, number two is stop with the Zoom, which I agree with. You don't need video on the podcast. It makes it a lot easier to edit. And then when he wants I'm to video... I'm by how many prominent podcasters do the video, though. Yeah. Oh, well, well, podcasters should do the video. I think that for, for Biden... He shouldn't do the video. He, sh- he should put out videos, but they should be scripted, sharp videos. But if he's going to do a podcast where he just talks, it should be audio and it should be edited. Three, stop making it sound like a campaign event. That's a very common thing where you're taking one medium and, and not translating over another. I think he'll get better at that over time, hopefully. Uh, four, have more episodes. Well, there's only three. I think they mean have more frequent episodes. Um, Biden doesn't have to be on every one. I thought that was funny. That was like, okay, the problem is Joe Biden is on too many of the episodes in the Joe Biden podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, so so we're only four into we're only four into the five uh, suggestions they have for improvement, and two of them are less Joe Biden. Yeah, <laughs> and five act like a government in waiting. I'm not sure how to do that. I'm sure they describe it more in the article, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think idea. that was kind of part of the expectation was that yeah. he would be in his basement command center and showing us, you know, this this is the leadership we could be having if right. if Donald Trump wasn't in the White House. I hope he doesn't uh, have his phonograph in the background <laughs> or his record player. Yeah, well, it, it, and and uh, it sounds like they haven't set it up with a with a mock set. And so so absolutely, if if Obama was in this position and had been secluded to his, you know, isolated to his home. Uh, in the run-up to to his election, uh, they would have a set there that maybe it doesn't look exactly like the Oval Office, but it looks presidential. Uh, right, and, right. 
Uh, my understanding is that that it very much looks like uh, Biden's uh, rarely used rec room. Yeah, why um, can't that, they make it look like they, uh, not so, look some, like the Oval Office, more... but like look look? Um, I know what you're talking about. Like it has to look yeah. like oh this this is like if the Oval Office were designed differently, you know. But it, we're still the same sort well, of j- a thing. just just like and they when, could do when it. Obama... Well, they they should have the resources to do that. There's no reason why. Yeah. Well, because I I think. Uh, I, I may have the timeline on this wrong, but I think it was after Obama was nominated, um, but before the election, uh, he, he started using, uh, or, or maybe it was after the election, but before he'd been sworn in, uh, he started using a seal that it was not the presidential seal, but it looked a lot like the presidential seal. Right. And they were doing it on all of their, their, you know, their, their media and their press releases and everything. And so it, it, it cemented this, this uh, perception of him as the president, even though he was not yet president. Yeah. Well, uh, a good, and, and a good candidate. If, I, if you're going to do video, you need to do it like that. Right. Not, not have him in his rec room, which, uh, I, I, I believe, uh, is, is spelt, uh, R E C as in recreation, but, uh, could, could be substituted with, uh, W R, uh, E K, uh, huh. cause he's, he's creating a train wreck here. Yeah. You know, I, one thing I've learned from, we learned in episode 41 and, and elsewhere is that good candidates are very good at using the media of their time to their advantage. And I, Obama really had it and Obama would kill it with the podcasting and Joe Biden with the podcasting, with the tweeting, he just doesn't seem to know what he's doing here. That's not a very good sign. Like I, yeah, maybe he'll, I'm sure he'll get be better a bad president, but it's, yeah. it's not making him a good candidate. No, I it's, it's not um, it's not a good sign. He'd get better, but I feel like he's got to learn real quick. Um, and I'm uh, worried that you, he's you not going to be able to change. He's not going to be. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, you, you would think with the resources he has at his, at his disposal, uh, they should be able to have uh, the best post-production and, and, and production and planning and, and that this should be almost too slick. Uh, maybe, maybe they've made a conscious decision that part of his... Uh, his his aura, his his character is that it can't be overproduced. He needs to seem down to earth and and not too slick. That that the other guy, the guy he's running against, is the reality TV show and the and the you know big shot media hub New Yorker, uh, and and they want to be as far away from that as possible. But that seems like a miscalculation, if if it even is a calculation. Yeah, but uh, to, just to add to that, I think that um, his. You didn't say like Biden thinks they need to. You said they think uh, he needs to. And so uh, you're clearly making making the assumption, which which I think is right, is that he's not being the mastermind behind his media, uh, you know, how he looks and his his campaign and how he's presenting himself into the world where it really did feel like Obama was in control of that Trump was in control of that. Trump made the final decision, not his not his staff about how he was going to look. And and I and, would certainly say uh, that with Trump. Trump has I think very yeah. strong uh, opinions on that and and is not afraid You wouldn't to say, say that about Obama? No, just do it this way. I I don't know if Obama uh, personally has has expertise and opinions there or if he just managed to surround himself with people who who were good at this and he was willing to listen to what they said. Yeah, but I feel uh, like he had good I, instincts. Uh, you I, know, that, I I'd be willing to give him give him the benefit of the doubt on that and, and give him credit there. But but I yeah. I'm I'm much more confident that that Trump wants things a certain way and he says it and that's how it gets done when it comes to anything uh you know 
anything televised for sure. Well, it must be frustrating because I saw in one of Trump's, you know, long press conferences where all these people get up the other day and someone's like so one of the journalists gets up and said, uh, Mr. President, uh, Joe Biden, uh, Joe Biden attacked you the other day and he said this and um, <laughs> Trump did not respond to the actual allegation, he was like, oh, no, Joe Biden didn't say that. He has people saying that. He has professionals tweeting for him. He didn't say that. So I don't really have to answer it. (laughs) And you know what, though? It's, It's sad because you know it's true. Like, you're like, yeah, he probably didn't write that. It doesn't even sound like him, you know? And it's, 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 it's just, I, unless he learns real fast, this is not gonna go very well. And my, maybe he'll surprise us, but uh, it doesn't. It doesn't seem like he's a, a fast learner when it comes to this. Any technology that goes beyond the record player, at least that's yeah. my impression. Well, it's, it, it raises an interesting question because the 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 yardstick by which we've measured political candidates in the last several elections um, has has been debate performance. That, that right. that's that's a major a major way of of differentiating. And I, I don't know if that's going to be the case going forward that uh, I, I've heard plenty of people say that, oh, Trump is going to you know wipe the floor with him at, at the debates. And I don't know if that's true or not. I, I, think I don't know. They, they certainly have very different debate styles. And so, right. So it's probably not, they're going to be passing ships in some ways. Yeah. Like, by both, that, I mean, both yeah. both teams are going to come out of it thinking that they've they've won a resounding victory and uh, we'll, we'll see what the, the public at large determines. But, but I think a lot of what's going on outside of the debate stage um, is going to, is going to sway the average voter and it's going to be less and less, uh, you know, the, the, the daytime talk shows or, or the, the nightly news programs, you know, it's, it's not going to be the, the one-on-one sit down on 60 minutes or Barbara Walters or whatever the current equivalent is uh, for the candidate uh, it's going to be the little snippets, the the quips at press conferences, the the tweets, uh, and and maybe the occasional longer form uh, uh, release. But uh, I I think debates are are losing their their currency. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Maybe uh, maybe um, the idea of the the vice presidential candidate being the co-host is very interesting. Um, yeah, well, and and well, he's he's. I'm still thinking tipped his hat is not the right term there, but but he's he's committed to uh, having a a female running mate. Right. Um, So I'm I'm certainly I have a predictive thing on that. I think I think, yes, he will have a woman as his running mate. But I think that I predict it thinks it's going to be Kamala Harris. And I I bet against that. We'll see what happens. They also predicted she would be the nominee and they were wrong on that. I won betting against that, too. But. Um, I think more interesting at this point from a from a strategic point of view is will he wait to the convention to announce his running mate? It sounds uh, like or, he won't. It yeah, sounds like I, he's I think g- given that the convention is uh, highly likely to be not a traditional convention, given uh, what's going on in the U.S. right now, that that it will either be very lightly attended or perhaps entirely virtual, uh, that that waiting to unveil your your running mate there is less valuable. Um, and I think he could use a, a big media boost that this could provide sooner rather than later. Um, yeah. That being said, there's also a lot of talk about uh, potential upsets of the convention. So who knows where we'll be in, when is it? Is it June? It's No, no, no. It's moved to August. They moved it. 
Okay, yeah. So so who knows yeah. uh, where we'll be? Yeah, that's right, because a lot of the, just, the primaries I, were moved into June. I don't who, see who them. Who knows where we'll be in August? I don't see what, them being able we'll be to do that. Then. I don't see them being able to replace the candidate. I know a lot of people are talking about Cuomo should be the candidate. What are they going to do? Are they going to say, oh, we had 25 candidates for you, and you selected one, you voted on them, but you know, we're just going to throw all that out. We're going to pick someone different. I mean, I, there have been dark horse candidates before. Yeah, but it wasn't. It was before there was the primaries. Um, so <laughs> I, we'll, we'll see. I, it's always very fascinating. This election is turning out to be even more fascinating than I thought at the beginning. We've been focused on the Democratic candidates for like over a year now, and it turned out that everything that they were talking about is now irrelevant pretty much. Um, and so we're in just a whole new era, and um, it's, it's, it's going to be a wild ride. I am very lucky to have a podcast this year. This is the first presidential election year that I have a podcast. So <laughs> I had the radio show in 04. That 04's election was – it was – as elections go, it was interesting, but it wasn't the most interesting in, in our lifetime. Yeah. And of well, so, course, so every year they're like, this is the most important election of our <laughs> lifetime. Even in 04, they were saying that. But, you know, because well, no, no, no newscaster is going to say this is a relatively unimportant election and you shouldn't pay attention to what we're about to tell you. <laughs> Yeah, but um, might as well stay home. <laughs> no, I mean, don't no, but, say might as well stay home. But uh, yeah, I I'm curious uh, what the what the reach for Biden's podcast is that that are people listening to his podcast who were not already going to vote for him? Because um, I I can't see it. I mean, uh, yeah. Well, and, and so if he's preaching to the converted, what is his objective? If, if his objective is to keep people motivated so that that they they don't that, that he reduces the, the odds of people deciding to stay home on Election Day, then then this could be a very viable way to do it. Um, if he thinks that this podcast is going to win him over uh, moderates and independents and swing voters or or even some of those blue collar Trump voters, I don't think he's going to make any inroads with this particular format. Yeah, you got to take risks with the podcast. You got to make it interesting. You have yeah. to talk about. Well, and look, I mean, he's not going to talk about something like uh New technology that's going to take pictures of everyone's butthole. That, that's not going to, that's I mean, not going to fly. Um, unless the the stance pro or con for that gets onto the platform. Yeah. Uh, it, I can imagine Bernie Sanders having a rant about that. Yeah, but, but he not would. Joe Biden. I am very concerned about the toilets. I, I was told I, I should not do a Bernie Sanders impression, but uh, <laughs> uh, but I could just imagine. I would listen to I that. Mean, you know what? I, I'm not, not a Sanders supporter. I would totally listen to that. If he were to rant about the toilet technology and someone so – if someone sent me a link and said Bernie Sanders rants about, you know – about big data, even if it, even if it were like less less racy or whatever, or privacy, I would I would listen to it. It would just be kind yeah. of inherently interesting. Uh, and so Biden's got to figure out a way to make that happen. But I, well, I mean, and, and maybe that's that's his 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 play here is that by putting something out, uh, maybe not everybody's going to listen to it, but people in the news media are probably going to listen to it and dissect right. it. And so it's a chance for for them to pull sound bites to keep him in the headlines when he can't go. Uh, and and shake hands and go to rallies and he could still you know call in to and and video in to to new shows for interviews but uh what what does he have to add to the you know 24 7 we're all going to die coronavirus coverage right. other than uh being 
being a counterbalance to Trump potentially. Well, here's an analogy that I found uh, interesting that that someone suggests, some people have suggested online. They compare this election to the one in 1920, exactly 100 years ago, where there had just been a pandemic as well, and um, as as well as a lot of um, a lot of really crazy things happening in the country that year. Again, that's, uh, David Petrucia wrote a whole book on that in 1920. Um, in that case, it was the prob- Republicans saying, hey, I'm just a boring guy. Turned out he was not that boring. But um, he's like, <laughs> hey, I'm just, I'm just a boring guy, and I'm going to return the country. <laughs> not necessarily in a good way, but I'm just a boring guy, and I'm just gonna, we're going to return to normalcy. I'm going to be a care, uh, caretaker president, and we're just going to we're going to return the normalcy. We're we're just going to try to get things back to normal after World War One. After even uh, interestingly enough, the the Spanish flu pandemic wasn't even a factor in that campaign. Maybe a little bit, but there was terrorism in the USA, social change, all this stuff. And you know what? He wanted a landslide from that because people were tired of all the craziness. And so there is a suggestion that maybe Biden has a chance uh, if people are tired of all the craziness. Although. I look online, I'm like, are people tired of the craziness or are they pathologically asking for more? Even if they're, even if they're, demo, even if they're on the left versus on the right, people are just not, uh, uh, it, it, it might not be time for that. But it, I thought it was an interesting analogy, particularly since it was exactly 100 years. Yeah, I guess it, it, it remains to be seen. Yeah. All right. So um, we have... I have an interesting channel, a uh, YouTube channel that I found that I want to share with everyone. I just, I really liked it because a lot of, you know, I've been stuck at home in my uh, apartment here for a long time, pretty much a month. And I'm like, I need something to, to do. So I look around YouTube and most of it is a waste of my time, but this one really made me smile. <laughs> and it was translator fails. Uh, who is the, um, shoot, who is the woman who? Uh, does these I I should get the uh, uh, is it Melinda the... Kathleen Reese okay yeah no, she does a great job they're very well produced and basically what she does is she runs songs and stuff through uh, like songs from Hamilton or songs uh, uh, like uh, Havana or uh, other things and she runs it through Google Translate multiple times. It doesn't really work if you run it through once or just a few languages. So I don't know exactly uh, what she's doing, but she's running it so that Google Translate mangles the song. And it's really, really hilarious. Like uh, she actually acts out what it comes up, to, what it comes up with. And so I'm just, uh, I don't know if I should go into some of the specifics here, what happened, but you guys should just check it out. It's, it's really funny. Uh, it's um, translator fails on YouTube. I will post it in the show notes page. Um, all right, let's sort of wrap it up on podcasting in general as a uh, as I, I just I just want to bookend this with you know the podcasting medium is still growing. It's not saturated. It's not coming to an end. It's not leading us all to our doom. You, we now have a, a recent article come out saying that there are 100 million total listeners to podcasts right now. I think we dipped a little bit during, uh, even though people have time to do podcasts at home, uh, that was the one thing that you could do on your commute. So uh, maybe people have less time to do podcasts now. But I think podcasts, once things get back to normal, podcasts will continue to grow. They are growing. We truly unbundled talk radio because there could only be 
a certain number of the radio stations became syndicated and there was only room for a certain number of radio hosts, certain number of stations. There's room for many, many podcasters, many flavors. And I personally, I don't just listen to the big podcasts. I listen, I find some smaller podcasts that I like where I feel like I trust the host. And, um, I, I, and then you kind of get to know the host more personally. And I think we could, uh, and I think people like to consume podcasts along those lines. So it's a very exciting medium to be in right now. And, um, it's, uh, it's not leading us to our doom. It's, it's, uh, it's leading us to the opposite of that. Everything else in the world is leading us to our doom right now. So that's all I wanted to say about that to wrap up this whole, uh, discussion and bookend it. Aaron, do you have any last words before we head out? Uh, no, I just I, I I'm gonna keep trying to focus on things that are not coronavirus because uh, I'm getting enough enough input on that without even trying. All right, all right, I'll try to look into the models when I can. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com if you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show. Send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. The show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at MaxSklar. Have a great week. Feel the power.